Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. The Las Vegas Hilton takes great pleasure in presenting the Liberace Show, staged and directed by Ray Arnett, and starring that man who is famous throughout the world for his candelabra and his piano, the star of our show, Miss the Showmanship, Liberace. there is Elton John, Cher, and even Lady Gaga, there was the one, the only, Mr. Showmanship himself, Liberace. Liberace was well known all over the world for his glitzy costumes, giant candelabra, and extravagant showmanship made him almost as famous as his piano playing. But unfortunately in February of 1987, Liberace died due to complications of the AIDS virus. Since his passing, Liberace has left behind so much music, memory, and his legacy, especially around Las Vegas. But it seems like, even in his afterlife, Mr. Showmanship himself is still making an encore. The paranormal aftermath. Could it be Liberace himself still making an appearance at Tivoli Gardens, his former Italian restaurant? And what about the dark figure that lingers around the Liberace Museum and his former mansion? We also talk about one famous 80s teen idol known for her Electric Youth album who purchased Liberace's famed Mirror Piano and discovered that she got more than what she bargained for. Join us on season four of Hollyweird Paranormal as we take a trip beyond the Hollywood city limits and we go into stranger territory. So pack a light bag, throw it in the backseat of our car, because right now we're heading to Vegas. And this time, we're going to learn about the life and afterlife of Liberace. This is Two Girls on a Bench, the podcast. So we're two writers who tend to procrastinate just a bit. We like to snack. We like to talk. We don't have time to write, but we have time to do this podcast. We certainly do. Join us on the bench. Listen in. At number two, Girls on a Bench. Hey guys. Well, well, well. Here we are. It's season four. Four more. <laughs> <laughs> you thought we were we were done. 
You'll never be rid of us. No, we're like poltergeists, <laughs> and you guys are Carol Ann. Ooh, Ooh, I love that. that I've weirdly seen that movie. Look at me. I know. So brave. You I got are. really brave over the break. Okay, which one? The original yes. or the re- Oh. No, never the remake. Always go old school. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, we're back at yes. it with another season. You thought you were rid of us? Hell no. We are so excited for season four because we have a lot of Haunted Tea to cover, of course. And first off, um, let's go into introductions because I know that we have new listeners now. Yes. Yeah, we got some messages over our break of some new listeners that are just like tuning in. And we're just so happy. I know. Um, FYI, shout out to Columbus, Ohio. What? what? Yes. Okay, so here's the deal. I I go on our hosting site, Mm blueberry.net. So shout out to Blueberry. Yes. And I always check the statistics and our downloads in U.S. metro cities. Number one, Columbus, Ohio beat Los Angeles. (laughs) Okay. But like, here's the thing about Columbus. What up? We're really cool. No, you guys are. (laughs) You really are cool. That's it. You know what the best part about being from Ohio is that like when you're not in Ohio, you're just like... Ugh, it's terrible. We all had to escape. That's why there's so many people in California. Mm-hmm. But if someone who's not from Ohio says even something like slightly shady, I'm like, actually, Ohio is a beautiful state. 16th <laughs> in the nation. Let me tell you about Robert Taft, like Rutherford B. Hayes, the space program, the Wright brothers, fall, like out of control. Do not come for Ohio unless you're from Ohio. <laughs> I do give it to you guys. You do have seasons we, compared to uh, California. Beautiful. It's the one thing I miss. Mm-hmm. Also, I just saw recently light sports reference that ESPN released a poll and that Ohio State Buckeyes fans were unequivocally ranked the worst, most annoying fans <laughs> in college football. And I was so proud of that. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, we are. Because we're crazy people. Oh, I bet you guys are. Good times. Shout out to Columbus. Lord I love that. Lord knows what you guys do in those cornfields. You, you do not want to know. Crazy corn-fed mofos, it's yeah. all to say. Just kidding. No. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, guys, um, introductions. My name is Tammy Merhav Chavez, and this is my co-host. Hello, I'm Bryce Mitchell-Williams. And you made it to Hollywood Paranormal. Yes. You just made it two minutes into season four, and if you just didn't like it, then too bad. You can switch out. No, don't do it. <laughs> don't we, do it. Seriously. We have so much to offer. According to Rita, we had a last review from hi. Rita. Uh, no, you don't want to say hi to her. Oh. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah, Rita BM, you know, reminded us not to quit our jobs. Well, I physically can't because I live in LA. Exactly. So Thank you, I Rita, won't. for reminding us that. And that 95% of podcasts are terrible. And we are part of the 95%. Of course, Rita, because we are FOMOs. We have a fear of missing out. So yeah. we need to follow the big group. I love that. Uh-huh. No one. <laughs> <laughs> everyone has a podcast. Yes, Frida, everyone does. Even my, my dog groomer has one. I so mean, I, I feel like we're pretty honest about the fact that we, we don't know what we're don't doing. Don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we honestly don't, guys. We're just like, throwing I'm, some we're just spaghetti. Lear- we do this for fun, not for a living. Hopefully for a living soon, eventually. Sure. But we just do it for fun. You know, we love yeah. making Bryce scared. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we love making his beard shake or yeah. cry of fear, of course. And yeah, thank you for the for reminding us that watching a Reels episode and repeating what is said is not research or fact. But I had no idea what Reels was until 
I went on YouTube and what is reels? it's like a true crime show reenactment. Oh. So thank you for tuning <gasps> us in. Yeah, I know. I'm totally going to use that I for know. my research now. <laughs> now we are. Thank you. I will do it. Yes, we will. So thank you, Rita. I mean, we won't roast you because mama taught us not to burn trash. So wow. we're just going to move ahead. <laughs> Said it. Sorry, not sorry. But here we are. Hey. <laughs> Moving forward, guys. We- I've always known that I'm not everyone's cup of tea. So, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> No, you are. Eh. You're everyone's big cup of tea, Bryce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. Live in the live cup in the live. Tea from Ohio. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but a big shout out to Mika Curry from OC Ghosts and Legends Hi. because she recommended us this specific individual that we're going to cover for our first episode on season four. Yay. Yes. So thank you, Mika Curry, because we were talking about this a few months ago when we were investigating Brackenfern, mm-hmm. and she mentioned this show celebrity ghost stories and i love that show and i remember watching the episode with now it's deborah gibson not debbie gibson interesting and in this show it's season i think it's season two episode eight but deborah goes and tells her story how liberace kind of like was trying to communicate with her from beyond after she purchased one of his famous mirrored pianos yes yeah so we have a lot of that tea to cover in our paranormal aftermath but just a forewarning guys i mean before elton john Cher, and brit brit and even lady gaga Mm -hmm. there was the one the own the only mr showmanship liberace yes so what we're going to do is what we do best. We're going to go back and talk about his early life. And then Bryce is going to touch on his best decades, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Because those were some powerhouse decades for him and up until, you know, his death. Yeah. And the paranormal aftermath, of, of course. course. Liberace Ghosts. Is Mr. Showmanship still making his presence known around Sin City? <laughs> there it is. Real. <laughs> He's very noticeable. All right, guys. So in order to begin, we need to go all the way back. And we need to go back to the Midwest, of course. Not Ohio, but to uh, Wisconsin. Sure. Of course. Because there is where we lay our scene. So it's May 16th, 1919. And Ladzu, if I pronounced that correctly or didn't, I'm sorry. Uh, Valentino Liberace was born in 1919 into a musical family. And his mother, Frances, uh, was Polish and German. She worked in a cookie factory, and she was a very, very uh, skilled pianist. His father was Salvatore Liberace, who was an immigrant from Formia, Italy, which is a small little fishing village. And he was a professional French horn player for the Milwaukee Symphony. Oh, that old thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and his siblings included George, who was the oldest, Angie, and Rudy, and little Lee, Um, because that was his nickname, was the youngest. So he, too, also had a musical ability just like his siblings, just like his parents. So Liberace's own extraordinary natural talent Mm. became very evident when he learned how to play the piano by ear at the age of four. I I don't even remember what I learned to do at the age of four. No. I, like, waking up early in the morning to catch the Saturday morning cartoons is something that I easily, like, caught on to. But any kind of, like, talent... 
I wouldn't say like waking up early is a talent, is it? No, no, it's not. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, it's a struggle, but I, I believe it could in some ways be a talent. Yeah. So although his father tried to discourage his son's interest in the piano, praises from Ignacy John Paderewski, a famous Poli Polish pianist, helped the young musician follow his musical career. So he um, becomes a teenager and he starts playing popular tunes at movie theaters and speakeasies despite being proud of his son's accomplishments, Salvatore strictly opposed Liberace's preference for popular music over classics, meaning Liberace was all about the jazz and boogie-woogie, and Salvatore was like, no, you gotta stick mm -hmm. with the classics, of course. So pianist Florence Bitre Kelly took control of Liberace's classical training when he was 14, and he debuted as a soloist with the Chicago Symphony under the direction of Dr. Frederick Stock. And then soon when he turned 17, Lee joined the Works Progress Administration Symphony Orchestra. And there he received a scholarship to attend the Wisconsin College of Music. Yes. So in 1939, after a classical recital, Liberace's audience requested the popular tune Three Little Fishies. And Liberace seized the opportunity and performed the tune with a semi-classical style, which meant he was able to cover the tune in the style of Chopin, Beethoven, and Bach, which was pretty impressive, and audiences back then really loved that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So this unique style of playing the piano got Liberace bookings in large nightclubs, to which it led him to switch into a more glitzy approach. And then we enter the 1940s and yes. we see Liberace being a little more extra. He's traveling with his custom-made pianos. And on top of all this, he decides to add another trademark, the candelabrum. Yes. So there's this big question, like what was the deal with the candelabrums? So he got the idea to use a candelabra uh, after seeing the film a Song to Remember, mm -hmm. which is a 1945 biopic about his idol, Frederick Chopin, starring Cornell Wilde. So he then took Paderewski's advice and dropped his first name, Lazu, and his middle name, Ballatino, and just simply stuck with Liberace. So um, we fast forward, he gets you know into films and he shoots the movie mm -hmm. South Sea Sinner with Shelley Winters, where he plays a honky-tonk pianist. And then his film, you know, is not well received, but it still puts his name out mm -hmm. there. But before Liberace was in this film, he was also performing in Vegas. So he gets into the Vegas scene around the 40s. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that he rubbed elbows with one famous mafioso. So according to the Las Vegas Review Journal, in 1947, Liberace made a return engagement at The Last Frontier, and as usual, the audience loved him, and after the show, he milled into the casino with the crowd, chatting and signing autographs. And Liberace's biographer, Bob Thomas, tells the story, Liberace felt a hand grip his arm, and a gruff voice said, hey kid, I want to talk to you. Liberace protested and he moved away. The man followed. Liberace asked the security guard, who in the hell is that creep over there? That one guy looks like a gangster. And it's kind of funny because the guard tells him he is a gangster. Yeah. That's like Bugsy Siegel over there. So terrified that he offended a known gangster and killer, Liberace went to prepare for his second show. And after he received word that Siegel wanted to see him in the lobby, Bugsy wasn't angry. He was just trying to steal the Last Frontier's headliner for his new project, the new Flamingo Hotel. So he offered Liberace $2,000 per week salary. 
Liberace kind of told him, let him, like, you know, think about, you know, his acceptance. He didn't want to insult his current benefactor or refuse, you know, his business at risk that he might very abruptly end his career. Mm-hmm. So the problem in the end did solve itself because a few months later, Seagull was shot dead in his girlfriend's home in Beverly Hills. So just a little side note, in the 1940s, the mob did run Vegas and they pretty much called the shots and they were the reason why we have a strip. (laughs) Oh, yes. So, you know, you had East Coast mobster Bugsy Seagull Mm -hmm. and his fellow boss, and friend slash psychic Meyer Langsky, who was amongst these like hotel builders opening up the Hollywood inspired Flamingo Hotel. And then, you know, they come out with the Riviera, the New Frontier, the Sands, and the Sahara. Mm-hmm. And all of these hotels were pretty much bought and funded with racketeering and drug trafficking money, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But then, of course, the scene flourishes when they start signing these famous artists such as Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, and of course, Liberace Uh to be the headliners for these hotels, which is smart. So we go to 1948, and he headlines some of the most prestigious hotels in some of the largest cities in the nation. Of course, Las Vegas is one of them. And in 1952, he performed at the Hollywood Bowl. And that's where he really made his mark in his career because he pulled off one hell of a costume Mm -hmm. wardrobe like miracle there Mm -hmm. so he goes on stage wearing a white tux which is something that is a big no-no and is highly frowned upon and they really almost didn't let him do it yeah which i think is hilarious (laughs) he was like you're serious right i'm like dressed up i'm gonna make a you know statement here i am so that was a big no-no because back in the day it was you know it was a uniform you were supposed to wear a black tuxedo and um in his position it all worked out like it made him famous and i think i love the thing that he was just like okay but you won't be able to tell me apart from anybody else yes if you've ever sat at the back of the bowl it is like pretty hard to see mm-hmm. like you need to you bring ha- they, several well, yeah like, and now they have screens but magnifying glasses yeah they do now so he's like well i'm not gonna just sit and be i'm the featured artist so like mm-hmm. they won't be able to tell me apart so they're gonna see me so he that was his sort of first little flourish was like i'm gonna wear a white tux and people were losing their minds like mm-hmm. oh if you only knew what was coming because <laughs> it's so much less <laughs> this aggressive. was just the beginning <laughs> yeah that's true but i applaud him for making such a daring and yes. bold so statement. brave so brave yes So he comes out with a Liberace show in 1952, which Mm. is a syndicated television program. And it kind of like uh, is a replacement for the Dinah Shore show, which is in 1951. So he does this big television appearance. He gains more popularity. Mm -hmm. He ends up doing a sold out show at Madison Square Gardens. And then he travels all over the world. And he performs in front of the Pope and Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. So his like notoriety is like really growing. Mm-hmm. So despite being successful in his European tours, his career had in fact been slumping just mm-hmm. slightly in 1957. But Liberace built it back up by appealing directly to his fan base through live appearances in small town supper clubs and with television and promotional appearances. So he began to regain his popularity 
you know, once more. And on November 22nd of 1963 is a very scary date for him because Mm -hmm. he suffers from kidney failure and reportedly from accidentally inhaling excessive amounts of dry cleaning fumes from his newly cleaned costumes in Pittsburgh. Oh, bless you. Thank you. So he is now on his deathbed. (laughs) Yeah. And he is being given his last rites. And then all of a sudden, according to him in his biopic, in Liberace's biopic, he states that his entourage comes into the room with news that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. And um, the doctors told him that his condition was going to be fatal. And he begins to spend his entire fortune Mm -hmm. from his deathbed, apparently. Mm -hmm. Because he asks his manager, like, how much do I have in the bank now with all my royalties and everything? And the guy tells him, like, you have quite a bit Mm -hmm. of change in paper. So he goes ahead and starts the beginning of his lavish Mm -hmm. spendings. So he ends up buying homes for his friends and family. He buys all sorts of jewelry and fur. And then he just gets well. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Oops. So I'm going to need that back. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) I I wondered that too. He asked like his friends, like, can you, Hilarious. Back the house that I the shade. <laughs> but that was a that was something great about Liberace is that he had all this money and yes he spent it lavishly on himself but mm. he had no hesitation on spending it on his friends and family mm-hmm. like he literally bought homes and and cars for his friends and family which yeah. is really nice. So re-energized, Liberace returns to Las Vegas, upping the ante in the glamour and glitz game with his elaborate costumes and performances. So he took on the name Mr. Showmanship. Mm -hmm. And this is where we now can transition to the 70s and 80s. So this is the second part of his life, and Bryce is going to guide us back in time with his own candelabra. Oh, yes. I, I brought it. Can we, side note, just talk about his lavish costumes. Yes. I am living for every single piece of well, and he garment like, he owned. He like talk he you know, he was pretty self aware and he would talk about himself. He's like, But I'm like a one man Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that was his sort of whole MO, especially transition, as he moved into this second wave of like Vegas mm-hmm. uh residency. He really starts going. And so you see he adds like wires and he's flying in and all of his costumes have capes and they're super. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like he really is, like you said, but he really is the precursor to like our modern era pop stars. Like he was. Right. Like when Lady Gaga flew in in the Super Bowl, like halftime show, yeah, he was driven in and he's like Rolls Royces, and he had like Mm -hmm. he was adding, he basically was the first person. I mean, in many ways, him and Elvis simultaneously both had shows at this time, this sort of like golden era of Vegas showmanship, Mm -hmm. and they basically created what we now have as like modern day concert events right it's a whole event it's not that you're just going to see like a night at the symphony no you're he gonna see is a the show. bridge yeah, yeah. He's, you're, he said that he's like I'm not a I'm not a classical pianist I'm an entertainer mm-hmm. and he really did you know he had he was the first one to start adding 
showgirls and showboys and yes. dancers and props and sets and guest uh, celebrity appearances. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, uh, shoot, what was her name? I was going to say. It was Barbara Babs. He had Babs. He was the first, right? Uh, Betty, um, shoot, what is her name? I, I used to have her on my wall. I'm a bad gay. That's the lesson here. <laughs> Nothing's changed over the summer. I'm still Look a you. terrible Not gay. Not research. <laughs> um, I know, right. Well, it wasn't on the Reels channel. But it, there was a rumor that he made, like, he put Barbara Streisand's name out there. Yeah. Like, he... Oh, he definitely did. It was, like, one of her very first performance appearances. They were, like, Barbara who in the beginning, and mm-hmm. after the show, they were, like, Barbara Streisand. Doris Day is who I was trying to think of. Oh, girl. I <laughs> am a terrible gay. You're terrible. Um, But she was, like, one of his very close friends, mm-hmm. and he had her on his show like, on all the time. And so it was, like, this first person to really, like, start... Not just a residency in Vegas, but also the idea of, like, an event. Like, not just a concert. And also, in his, like, second round of Vegas ship, he <laughs> really channeled the interaction between himself and the audience. And that was, like, unheard of at this point. Like, right now, we sort of look at, like, I, I mean, of course, again, you compare, like, modern-day pop stars and you, like, watch them and they're, like, walking through the audience and they're singing and they're pulling people up on stage and there's all these like uh, interactive elements Mm -hmm. when you go and see a concert now that was not the case at this time I mean it was starting to get more and more so because of the advent of television but even when he started the Liberace show Mm -hmm. they were like don't look into the camera like what are you doing he's like no I know what I'm doing he's like crafting his image he would look and wink directly into the camera he would speak into the camera he would wink a lot into the camera Mm -hmm. and it basically created this persona of his that then sends I mean, women and gay men were obsessed with him. Oh, of course. Because of his, like, extreme devotion to his audience, basically. And he would take requests, and he was super interactive and super, like, engaged with the people that were there. You know, he would always say, you have, you know, always been so kind to me. Thank you so much. Like, it's so generous as they were, like, applauding for him. He's like, I want to give back to you. And he would do these, like, numerous encores and he would do audience requests and he would create these beautiful like mashups on the spot Mm -hmm. and he would just do all these things that really like started to take flight in his second Vegas residency because he was able to essentially take everything that he was able to do while he was on tour like you were saying Mm -hmm. like reviving his career at these like smaller venues and translate it into his Vegas show where you're going to see like the spectacle yes. and the like in the flesh. the man himself. Yeah, it yeah. really is like this weird like pilgrimage that people would go on to yeah. like see Liberace. Have you seen the biopic on YouTube or his like the Well, and the there's so many performances of his on YouTube as well. It's amazing. There's like the biography. Yeah. It, it was like in my opinion like the first version of a YouTube like what I do in a day totally. and what I ate oh in a God, day. Follow as Liberace and there's like the scene where you see him waking up in his bedroom with the Sistine the replica of a, uh, the Sistine so Chapel. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, oh, I didn't see you there. I kind know. Of thing. He really is like. He really woke many, up like that. Yeah, many mm-hmm. ways he was quite ahead of his time. He really was. But I think that's why he was so 
popular, yeah. right? Because it's it, it, there is a little element of this where like you look at him and you're like, this is like entertaining enough. Like, be, did people really get this? Because mm-hmm. it's like minutes of live air television where no one's speaking, for example, because he's just playing. Yeah, like, people like tracked with this and they totally did because he was yeah. like the first because he was cool yeah like he was interactive like you said i can you agree with me that he put desperate in the term desperate housewives Hilarious. because those, <laughs> those women were so thirsty for him in the two front rows of his concerts like if you see the bi- biopic online mm-hmm. it's the one where you see him in his like yankee doodle outfit totally and in every show, you see, like, the typical housewife sitting there with their cat eyes yeah. and their bouffant, and they're thirsty it's so for crazy. the Liberace. I, I kind of was unaware before we did this, like, little journey. Mm-hmm. I knew who he was in terms of, like, pop culture, but I had no idea that he was, like, a full-on sex symbol. Yeah. Had no Huge. clue. Huge. That um, he actually was engaged yeah, he was. And it was, you know, whether or not that was real or was a beard ship, which we'll get into, mm-hmm. um, is a different conversation probably for later in the podcast. Uh, but it was so poorly received by his family and by the public. Mm-hmm. Like women were mad at him that he would like try and devote himself to one woman other than his mother because he was so like endeared to his mother yeah and you know she obviously didn't like the woman as well and Mm -hmm. so he didn't end up getting married yeah (laughs) which i think is ridiculous but like obviously there were other issues there i'm sure so yeah so that was like really the height of his second vegas ship and then you know at the height of his popularity there's these interviews that start happening and now that we're into like 86, 87, really mm-hmm. towards the end of his life, at the height, ironically, at the height of his career and the end of his life, he starts like kind of letting these little hints, I guess, for lack of a better word, that he's not well. He is not healthy. And well, he left a lot of hints about like yeah, and sexuality, it's really, and then it's really quite health. jarring to like in hindsight watch these interviews, especially the Oprah interview. I don't know if you saw that one. Oh yes, I was there for that interview. That's probably one of my top five favorite Oprah interviews. It's so intense to watch. It because is you're just like he he won't say it. No, and like Oprah knows. Oprah always knows. Mm-hmm. But. It's everything that he doesn't say, and he does kind of hint at his, like, failing health, and, you know, that was, like, eight months, I think, eight or nine months before he ended up actually dying. It was one of his last interviews, and it's just so sad to see someone who's, like, essentially wasting away, but is, like, sort of fluffed up by his own costume and grandeur, and, you know, you can't really tell how sick he is, and then when we get to it, you're like, oh, that is someone who's dying, yeah, you know, I read in interviews too that like he was completely bald at that time. Mm-hmm. That the like his hair that was a whole entire headpiece. Mm-hmm. He was wearing yeah. a lot of makeup just to make it look like he had some health and color. You I know? know he was also like wearing a lot of layered costumes yeah. to like poof him out because he was such a like barrel chested guy. Yeah. And by the end of his life, he was basically, like, skin and bones. So he was, like, wearing all these, like, extra layers to try and, like, Mm -hmm. hide that fact. Mm -hmm. And also he, I mean, you know, we can definitely transition. um, But he, like, refused treatment as well. So at that time, 
obviously HIV AIDS was barely known what it was anyway. Now we're headed into like the late 80s where they know what it is. There is technically a cure for the treatment. There's not a cure. I'm sorry. There were treatment options available and he was refusing them. So as we saw and have talked about in the early 80s, that's a very fast decline if you're refusing treatment. Oh, absolutely. So he was he was on very much borrowed time. Oh, yeah. Which is sad. It really is sad. And, I mean, everything was masked for him his his entire life, his yeah. sexuality and, you know, what he truly right. died of. And then... Well, can he we, was so conservative. Like, very, very grief. conservative. For someone so flamboyant yeah. and so based in the world of, like, entertainment, mm-hmm. he was such a staunch, like, Catholic. He always said that, like, meeting the Pope was the highlight of his life. Yeah. And he was very conservative, and he believed in, like, capitalism. Well, and yeah, he, he was such a right-wing guy. Also, like, sued the Daily Mirror in 1957, yeah. I believe. They wrote an article about him stating yes. that, you know, he's homosexual. Like, yeah. it's obvious. Like, can you see through his, like, performance and his attire that yes. he freaks homosexuality? And he sued, and he won. Yeah, he, sued he actually had won. a couple libel lawsuits yeah. in here and... And in the UK, mm-hmm. the confidential one was a big one. And a lot of people like to debate, well, no, he really was homosexual. He should have come out. No, because that's one of the things that he had control mm-hmm. of. One of his things. Mm-hmm. His career, his music, and his sexuality. And he was so hyper-protective of his image, too. Well, he, yeah, back then you had to look at really, Rock Hudson. Oh, girl, let's talk about Rock Hudson. <laughs> yes. It is very interesting, Um Slight little tangent. Um, This very well-known CrossFit athlete came out this past week. And he is the first athlete uh, at this, like, level, Mm -hmm. essentially, who has come out. There's some others for sure, but he is, like, a pretty big name. He comes from, like, a family of CrossFit athletes. Mm -hmm. His brother actually won the CrossFit Games a couple of years ago. So they're, like, a well-known family in the community and he has competed individually for many years and on teams and it same kind of thing and i promise there's a point i'm just trying to talk about crossfit or am i um you're wearing a shirt that i'm cool. literally i know it's so extra i know i'm so sorry bryce are you in a cult do we need to call your dad i 100 percent am in a cult it's fine crossfit ticks all the boxes of a cult so if you're in a crossfit you're in a cult it's fine um but it's very interesting. Like I was obviously super touched by his video. Oh, wow. Um, it was very sweet. It was very emotional. He's very young. Um, but it was kind of like a well-known assumption mm-hmm. among people. And it was really jarring because in many ways, it's like, well, do we even have to still come out in 2019? And unfortunately, the answer is yes. Yeah. But it's better than it's been even I think in the last couple of years it's getting better I agree it's becoming more accepted and unimportant we're not quite there yet but we're getting close but it was very interesting to watch him go through the process of like you could see like the fear and the anxiety of course it's like a very jarring experience Mm -hmm. to watch him and then of course like the outpouring of love and he's been very vocal about it and it's been really lovely and touching but that wasn't always the case. It's not a career ruiner like it used to be even 10 to 20 years ago, much less 
when Liberace was becoming famous. Like, let's talk about the 50s. Let's talk about the 60s. You, It's not that you couldn't be gay. You could not be gay. Like, mm-hmm. it was not an option. And if you wanted any kind of career, you couldn't be gay, especially for someone like him whose entire fan base, like you're saying, yeah. is thirsty housewives. Like, that's your whole bread and butter. Right. So, it was 85% of, yeah. of his fan base were females so were, yeah all of that to say is like of course it like you mentioned yeah it's like not a well-kept secret but these lawsuits show a he's very controlling about his image but b it's like a life or death situation for his career he oh, has to sue every time absolutely. someone says that like he cannot be called a homosexual and continue his career let's let's jump ahead let's jump a little bit ahead let's talk about scott thorson Ugh. And it will definitely transition us into the HBO film Behind the Candle, Candelabra. It's so crazy because his story, the story of Liberace to me is pretty straightforward. Yes. And then you mix in Scott Thorson and it's so weird. It is. I, I will agree because Liberace's stories always sink. They never change. If you see five mm. different interviews with him, five different decades... Same story. Nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Scott's, it's like, it's just all of a sudden there's like, oh, this new new character, this new yeah. thing that happened. It's like, but come you on, know dude, what? stick to w- with one story. It weirdly makes me trust him more. Mm-hmm. There's something about when you're watching, I agree, because all of his interviews are very calculated, I think. But yeah. it, it's a little jarring when you hear the same thing over and over you realize that it's someone who's rehearsed right Right. and he would change a word or two but the line always lands the same Mm -hmm. i cried all the way to the bank is such a good example of that Mm -hmm. it's his very famous line that he coined and it like changed as he went but it's always some variation of i blanked all the way to the bank Mm -hmm. and i always think about that i'm like "Mm, you are very calculated i think some of what Scott Thorson is claiming is more true than you're admitting because again you can't admit it right Ugh, juicy <laughs> come on Scott I really was impressed with the you know HBO film of mm-hmm. behind the Ken- candelabra mm-hmm. and I could see like you know this was a gentleman in his early his earlier years that was in some way and form taken advantage of totally most likely well it's hard because it is based on the book that Scott Thorson wrote, yeah. also titled Behind the Candelabra. So mm-hmm. he said, he said, and the truth, right? There's probably a mix of both, mm-hmm. but oh, Martin Sheen and Matt Damon are so good in that. Oh, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas, that's yes. right. I'm sorry. So what for some of you guys right. that may not know, Scott Thorson was Liberace's, okay, I say yes. this with finger quotes, his personal assistant, mm-hmm. his chauffeur, and his flunky I don't know his live-in friend live-in friend okay (laughs) um they were in a very serious relationship with one another between I want to say 1978 Mm -hmm. to 19 was it 85 I believe but they spent a good chunk of time together and Scott meets Liberace at the age of 16 Mm -hmm. he meets him um backstage through a mutual friend at you know, it was one of his performances. Liberace, you know, is very thirsty for Scott and immediately goes in, you know. Mm-hmm. And Scott, you know, young, doesn't have parents. He's living with foster parents. He is um, an animal trainer mm-hmm. for film. 
and he gets introduced to Vegas and the lifestyle of Vegas through Liberace. Mm -hmm. And then he gets lost in Lib's or Lee's world. Yeah. Yeah. So Lee pretty much puts him through a severe makeover. Well, I think there's a lot of conditioning that happens too. Oh, a lot of grooming and conditioning. Mm -hmm. So we see, if you see the film, like he sends him to meet with his doctor. Mm -hmm. Because at this time, like even if you notice like his face throughout the decades, it gets tighter and tighter Mm -hmm. and tighter. Which can we talk about Rob Lowe? As the doctor in yes. that. Oh, Rob. Out of all the characters, Rob Lowe was number one for me. I love so Rob he Lowe. plays the doctor who is the rhinoplasty, uh, you know, mm-hmm. surgeon. And he, it's so, it's done so well where they had to like put rubber bands and tape on him to make it look like his his face is super tight from all the facelifts that he's had done on him. And there's a scene where he's like talking about what he wants to do to Scott's face. And he makes a joke and he can't even laugh and move his eyes and make a facial expression. It's perfection. But it's kind of scary because Scott's like going to look very much like these two men in this room. And it's kind of odd because he goes through the procedures mm-hmm. of rhinoplasty per Lee's request right. and then comes out looking like Liberace. Well, right. And that's the thing, That too, was scary. Is that it's not even <laughs> just weird. like that he was getting plastic surgery no, at the behest no. of someone else, but like to look like Liberace. He gets the chin and his nose, the poignant yeah. features of his face done on Scott, which is, I mean, I was just like trying to figure out like, why? Like, what, what What? was the purpose of all that? Well, it seems to be like a weird kind of narcissism, probably. But Yeah. Allegedly, he got the chin implant out in 2000. So good for him. Good for him. But everything else is but still everything, in there. Yeah, like, Ugh. you could tell. You could see in his, like, past interviews. Like, he, yeah. his face has gone through several, you know, surgeries. Well, and that's the thing, too, is, like, don't date minors. I don't know. Let's just start there. Yes. Um, but when you're that young, the need to please is very aggressive. And mm-hmm. so you have this person who's so engaging. And giving, And so too. giving that yeah. you just kind of want to, like, I, I believe him. He's like, but I just wanted to, like, make him happy. Right. So that you just start, like, losing little pieces of yourself without mm-hmm. realizing it. And all of a sudden, you're, like, getting rhinoplasty again right. and again and again. And you're just like, what is happening? And then, obviously, like, their relationship ends quite tumultuously because Liberace, right? So he was he was in the show. He was one of the dancers. He would drive Liberace on in, mm-hmm. like, all these different Rolls Royces and limos and things like that. And then they break up, or he's kicked out, whichever. Oh, he's kicked account out. You want to say? So he gets kicked out because Lib- like Lee buys him this huge penthouse. I believe it was in Vegas, and he refuses to leave. And he sends people to forcefully, like, yeah, escort him out. So he basically is now on the streets, mm-hmm. and he had been living on Liberace's dime for these like almost a decade Mm -hmm. and now he has nothing and he's super addicted to pain medication because of all the things that they were giving him after the surgeries oh yeah he also develops a cocaine habit so yeah i mean like he is now like a full-on drug addict yes on the streets penniless and so he sues 
Mm-hmm. He which, says like, her palimony, right? Ugh, can we just talk about this word? <laughs> palimony. <laughs> it's like people are so desperate to not say gay. <laughs> you know what we need? We need like a little word. Palimony. Like, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> just call them gay. God. <laughs> They're live-in friends. They're homosexuals. They gay. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like anytime you listen to any kind of like historical like bosom bodies they do it's like they won't say it. like just call them gay god oh my god good times we've come so far and yet still so far to go um so he sues him for 113 million dollars scott is suing liberace and basically they end up settling out of court but not before like a pretty like nasty settlement yeah and like a lot of liberace in court What's it like the pre-trial, right? Where you have to like give your deposition, I yes. assume. Can you tell I know nothing about the law? Call what's her name? And podcasting. And podcasting, <laughs> yes. Um, but the whole time, Liberace really continues to insist very verbally that he's not a homosexual, that Scott is like a disgruntled employee. Yes. And that not like a spurned ex-lover. So there's like this really like sort of aggressive undertone to these proceedings and then they end up settling out of court and Scott basically is awarded like $200,000 I believe somewhere around there 95,000 let me just exaggerate yeah he would have been really happy with 200 but he they settled for 95 grand and like two cars and some dogs yeah some dogs and that was it like he wanted originally to receive 70 grand a year and that was not gonna happen me too (laughs) we all do if you're listening and want to send me 70 grand a year, I will get rhinoplasty for you. <laughs> I will wear that virgin mink cape. I will. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm willing to do for you, dear yes. listener. Um, so they settle and then actually end up reconciling quite soon after that. So mm-hmm. this is now, I believe they settle in like late 86 mm-hmm. and they sort of reconcile around like November, December of 86. And then fast forward and Liberace dies in February of 87. Right. And according to Scott, that is allegedly the reason that he was willing to settle for a such a small amount Mm -hmm. and so quickly and to then reconcile and try and like be friends, I guess. Yeah. They never lived together again. They never were like, quote, back together. Uh, Their palimony was official. But they he he said he knew that Liberace was dying and so he basically was just suing and like settled on the grounds of like division of property as opposed to like actually wanting to hurt him Mm -hmm. or to get his money or any of those things that he really was just trying to like get closure with his dying ex-lover which is like kind of sad it was like that was a really nice scene that they did Mm -hmm. and how they shot it because it's like here you have mr showmanship you just kind of like strip everything Mm -hmm. that you're so used to seeing him in and he's just in the most fragile state in Mm -hmm. his deathbed and it's very sweet because it's like they put all their differences you know aside and it was like their last goodbye yeah and this little bittersweet ending for the both of them yeah And then, you know, of course, for Scott, he's really had, like, quite a tough life. He's been in prison, and he's still in prison. Yeah, he's had a very interesting life. Witness protection program. Oh, well, yeah, of course, because if you remember from the Wonderland murder episode. Check us out with that tie. Uh, 
thank you. Season two. You're welcome. Um, he got involved with John Holmes and Eddie Nash during that whole mess. Thanks, drugs. Yes, he was buying drugs from Eddie Nash. He would constantly drive like back and forth between Vegas and Los Angeles mm-hmm. like three, five times a week. Same. Yeah. Just, I mean, just biking my way to Vegas, mm-hmm. <laughs> listening to the Pointer Sisters. Yeah, like <laughs> uh, I really am. It's true. And I mean, there was even like I think word out that he was somehow low key involved in that murder plot. He was, he was a key witness. He too, was a witness, which to I it. think, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, that he did agree to be a witness for in exchange for protection. Mm-hmm. Because then, right after that, he ends up going into witness protection. Yes, and they move him to like Miami. Which, mm-hmm. like, if you're on cocaine, don't Worst go to Miami, place, especially during the '80s and go '90s. Go to Miami. Oh God! Like, low key, maybe don't go to Miami ever. Mm-mm. But not if you're addicted to coke. Come mm-hmm. on. No wonder everyone's like so like fit and slim there. I know. God bless them. It's because over here, everyone's so slim. Here, it's because all we eat is like air. Mm-hmm. Air. I'm skinny. And more air. <laughs> I'm skinny because I just sweat constantly in the valley. It's just all water weight. It's great. I'm not because I'm half Arabic, half Ooh. Spanish. So <clears throat> you were ready for the valley. Look, <laughs> throw me a taco oh, God, or a yes. platano, and we can talk. All I right. Really, I do love tacos. Or maybe a michelada. You know. Ah, <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, he actually has had um, after he was attacked in his home as witness protection the mob essentially found out where he was and like attack him yeah and then he starts failing all of his drug tests mm-hmm. and so he loses his probation and essentially like goes into jail uh he was like accused of credit card fraud and yeah missing his probation and illicit drug use and intent to sell and like all these things and so he's actually been in prison i think since 2000 yeah. Which seems crazy. He's like 60 now. Yeah, he, he is in his mid-60s. Yeah. He is oh, suffering Scott. from cancer and still in jail. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, he's another one that I think is going to end like Liberace. He's going to, you know, die old, sick, and alone, unfortunately. Yeah. You know? Mm, makes me sad. It really does. So in February of 87, he passes. Mm-hmm. And then th- it's still like... <laughs> This whole circus of like, well, what did he die of, really? Yes. Because first off, they said Lib early died of heart failure. Mm-hmm. But then the coroner's, the Riverside coroner's office kept on pounding and pounding at the door. They're like, no, we need these results. We need these results of his autopsy to figure out what he really died of before he is, you know, buried. Mm-hmm. And there's this constant need for this information. And then it's like the slow reveal. Is it because Forest Lawn is a religious? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so annoying. Because after he passed, he went through the embalming process mm-hmm. and they said, no, he died of complications of um, the specific heart disease. And they said, well, where's the tissue sample? We need the tissue sample before he is submerged into the ground. And then they'll say something like, well, it was complications to a virus that might be linked to AIDS. Oof. Blink, blink, blink. And then finally it came out, okay, he just died of AIDS. Are mm-hmm. you happy now? Can we just please bury this poor man? Oof. Which is harsh because it's like you just ripped this mask away from this poor man, you know, that he tried so hard to first off hide what, you know, what he really was, mm-hmm. you know, really was homosexual and that he suffer and die of AIDS. 
it's really sad too just because like we do a little bit of a weird thing where we like assume we have the right to celebrities privacy yes like they're not real humans to us in many ways and like at the core as much as I sort of loathe when celebrities are in my way mm-hmm. we've talked about that many times they are still just like a human with a job like their job just happens to be fame mm-hmm. but it is still a person and a job and they're sort of being eaten by this machine that they don't have control over and like he's such a good example as many of them are Marilyn and like we've talked about so many James Mansfield like these people who don't have autonomy because we demand every corner of their life 100 so, it's so sad like put yourself in their shoes of like okay your family member is dead and in an effort to preserve their legacy you're not releasing the cause of death and a coroner decides for you that they have a right to release his actual cause of death like it's a little insane it really is an insensitive you know remember how he lived we gotta like remember how Mm -hmm. he died kind Mm -hmm. of thing it's it's so in yeah it's a tough one it really is a tough one it's a toughie because like at the end of the day it's like well then do you protect his right to lie because he was lying Mm -hmm. but like is it any of our business whether or not he was gay right these are questions that i don't have answers to i just like asking them (laughs) (laughs) i mean to tell you the truth this i mean his life and researching just his whole career was Mm. probably one of my top five favorites yeah for this episode well and i think it's really interesting too because such an interesting and eccentric man he was like yeah he was this weird he sort of embodied a lot of personality traits that we don't associate as typically masculine Mm -hmm. and yet he was this very like machismo kind of sex symbol for a lot of women Mm -hmm. but also this like flamboyant performing like Gay icon. Yes. I mean, he like Elton John talks about like he saw him on the Liberace show, and that was a major influence For him, in yeah. his own pop career. And you can see, I mean, in the suits and the pianos. Well, and- he had that one saying: "Man in the streets, queen in the sheets." Hilarious. <laughs> I was like dead. Put dead. it on my tombstone. Right there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That is my tramp stamp. <laughs> Well, or is it your tramp stand or maybe your indie tramp stand? Would Ooh. you put it on the side of your hip? This body has been untarnished by needle. So, Ooh. yeah. But it's like, I got to get my first one sometime, right? Like, yes. Might as well be that. <laughs> might as well be that. All right, guys. So we're going to take a little break with this little Stitcher promo. And when mm. we come back, we're going to talk about the paranormal aftermath. The moment you've been waiting for, Liberace Ghost. It's so sparkly. It is very sparkly and very vocal. Sure. Bow, guys. I love it. Here I am. You're welcome. Ah. If I were were to be haunted by a ghost, it would be Liberace. I would love to be haunted by Liberace. That's a good one. He would cook and he can help me cook and help me get dressed. I love that he had a little line of cookbooks. What a little Yes, Liberace (laughs) looks so sweet. (laughs) All right, guys, we're going to take a break. Hey, boo, hey, it's Bryce Mitchell-Williams and Tammy Merhap chavez and we are from Holly Weird Paranormal, and we just wanted to take a second to recommend some great other podcasts that are available now on Stitcher Premium. 
If you're looking for some new true crime, then check out True Crime Garage Off the Record, the latest project from the guys of True Crime Garage, hosts Nick and the Captain. Hi. Join them each week as they revisit some of the most haunting cases they've covered to date. This is a compilation of hidden treasures, a chance to dive deeper, discuss new theories, and get updates on your favorite episodes of True Crime Garage. Or, if you're looking for something a little different, comedian Chris Gethard's beautiful stories from anonymous people opens the phone line to one anonymous caller, and Chris can't hang up first, no matter what. Just like all my first dates. From shocking confessions and family secrets to philosophical discussions and shameless self-promotion, anything can and will happen. With Stitcher Premium, you'll also get thousands of hours of original content, early access to new releases, exclusive bonus episodes, and archives, and so much more. And of course, our show, Hollyweird Paranormal, is also available every week on Stitcher Premium. To get your free month trial of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code HOLLYWEIRD. That's stitcherpremium.com and the promo code is HOLLYWEIRD. One word. One word. Now let's get weird. Bye. Bye. Beep boop beep boop boop boop. Boop. Keep that in. I will. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Boo. Boo. We're going to talk about some Liberace ghosts. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say, like, Liberace and Mae West would be the two entities I would not mind, you know, going through course of hauntings you know what i mean yeah you'd certainly have a lot of laughs i would like i i first you know they would bring a lot of coldness into this hot apartment love right may west can help me with my walk and my strut Mm -hmm. come and see me sometime (laughs) put your lips together and blow Mm. god she's such a badass i know Liberace playing music? Why not? Yeah. Yes. Cape twirling. Twirl. 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 <laughs> twirl. Now, bounce. Bounce. Yeah. Yes. So, first off, we're going to talk about these places of business that he owned. Mm-hmm. First off, we're going to talk about the Liberace Museum and yes. Tivoli Gardens, first off, because those were two of his prized properties, mm-hmm. or one of his many prized properties. You know, back in 1979, he opens the Liberace Museum, and then he opens Tivoli Gardens, and they were both located in the same shopping center. Mm-hmm. So we can start with the museum. It opens. It has a lot of his prized possessions, things that he collected over the year, especially his costumes and his pianos. And more than one ghost has been reported to be seen at the Liberace Museum. Yeah. So the Liberace Museum is located off of East Tropicana Avenue. And employees and construction workers reported seeing a mysterious shadow figure near Liberace's dressing room during an extensive remodel and renovations several years ago. Mm -hmm. So the museum is being modified. Mm -hmm. And um, I know it's in, I think they moved it to a different casino and hotel. Mm -hmm. And some people have claimed that it could be his sister-in-law, Eudora. So Eudora used to assist Lee in a lot of his business affairs. I think she was his acting assistant, like his personal assistant as well, but not as personal as Scott, of course. Sure. And Eudora was also married to George, who was a musical conductor. Mm -hmm. But she also helped open the museum and run the museum for Mm -hmm. Lee. And after she passed, people believe that that could be 
her shadowy figure, kind of like watching uh, over weird. his items, making sure that the museum's in, you know, tip top mm -hmm. shape. But at the same time, other people would hear what sounds like piano music being played in the museum. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. So they believe maybe Liberace is still attached to a lot of his items that are in that museum. Mm -hmm. And then we could travel across the street on over to Tivoli's gardens. And so he creates this restaurant because he loves to cook. He still wants to entertain. So mm -hmm. after a show, he would invite his friends, family, and fans Aww. to the restaurant, cook for them, mingle with them, drink with them, and that was it. He would go home. Mm. And he, you know, looked at it like it was his second home. It was just like one of his many kitchens, mm -hmm. of course, because he owned many houses everywhere right. else. <laughs> so after his death, people believe that they still see and feel Lee around the restaurant while mm -hmm. he was still, you know, running because it didn't survive that long after his death. Mm -hmm. So patrons have claimed that they, they can sometimes see an image of a man that looks like Lee peeking into the banquet room in the back of the restaurant from outside through the windows. Mm -hmm. And there is a story that one night all the power in the restaurant suddenly turned off, but the power in the businesses nearby were still working. And when one of the waitresses remembered that it was Liberace's birthday and the, you know, employees were like, well, no wonder the lights are out. We forgot to sing him happy birthday. Aww. So they all get together and sing happy birthday to Lee. And after the last verse, the lights Ugh. come back on. That's so creepy. So... The owners had an electrician come in the next day to check out the building and the electrician found nothing wrong with the electrical uh. system. <laughs> so they knew that was Lee saying, you know, bitches don't forget me yeah. kind of thing. There is another incident, though, when you're in the restaurant, do not speak ill of the dead. One night someone did say something pretty offensive about Liberace inside Tivoli Gardens and a large tree that was in a planter near the bar fell over. Had the man been sitting two inches closer to the tree, he would have been seriously injured. Oh my God. I mean, this tree was huge, huge that um, it took five men to get the tree back in its place and restored by the bar. Oh my God. So the restaurant remained open for a few more years and you know shortly after lee's death and then it finally closed down mm -hmm. it opened as mia's banquet hall and then now today it stands as an adult daycare sure that checks out yeah which i find kind of odd sure yeah, yeah. what are you gonna do so um two miles away from the Tivoli Gardens mm -hmm. and his museum is his house. Yes. So his mansion still stands. And it's a really sad story with like mm. what happened with the mansion after he mm -hmm. passed and the, you know, the disrepair it was in years ago. Yeah. So we're going to travel a few miles down the street to 4982 Shirley Street in a rather understated neighborhood. So this mansion was reconstructed by Lee, which means Lee bought two bungalows mm -hmm. that were sitting next to each other, and then he can join them into a mega mansion. Sure. He purchased this house, or the two properties, for $3.5 million, and Damn. he added a solarium or, you know, the Moroccan room, a gold-encrusted staircase, hall of mirrors, or the eternal hall of mirrors, 
because when you go inside his place, you got to be looking at yourself. You got to uh-huh. check yourself out. And then, of course, he had um, all this marble and crown molding imported. And like we mentioned before, his master bedroom had a replica of the Sistine Chapel. Sure, sure. Of course, that checks out. Um, Super understated. After Lee's death, the mansion started to deteriorate. Most of his items were sold in auction or placed in display in museums and, you know, around town. Mm-hmm. Um, it was placed back in the market in the early 2000s for $1.5 million. And then um, it was purchased by a gentleman who was a huge fan. So he made sure that the inside of the house was identical to what Lee had, you Mm -hmm. know, before. But because of the recession, it went back on the market. Mm. It stood dormant for many years and people were breaking inside the mansion. Sure. So they were trying to steal like fixtures, mm-hmm. chandeliers, doorknobs, anything they could get their hands on. Mm-hmm. And then the ghost stories started to pop up. Now, this is where I find the paranormal aftermath attached to his ma- mansion a little inconclusive mm. because there's paranormal tours and other researchers that say, no, we think that he is still attached to his house, his mansion there, because people claim to see uh, shadowy figures you know, walking past the mirror, the windows, they claim to see lights inside the mansion. Oof. But here's the thing, you know, the break-ins right. occurred. So was it something supernatural or was it someone breaking into the house? Right. You know what I mean? But in 2017, the house is finally purchased and it's purchased by an English businessman by the name of Martin Ravenhall. So Martin says that once he entered the house, he felt this instant need to purchase it and take care of it. Wow. Like he was like, it just hit me. Once I walked past the front door, I needed to like to purchase this house and I needed to make it to Lee's That's standards. That's crazy, yeah. So he purchases the house for $500,000. Wow. But spends a hundred, no, $1.5 million to repair. <laughs> yes, sure. because it was in, well, it was in, Poor, poor despair. Um, They were, I mean, there was mold, problems Mm -hmm. with the pipes, and also, I think, two sinkholes. Wow. Like, it was really, really bad. So I tried contacting Martin Ravenhill Mm -hmm. on Facebook, and I hadn't gotten a message back because I wanted to know if there is some sort of paranormal association to the mansion. Because... That was one of his favorite places, you know, in Vegas was, of course, his mansion and, of course, his restaurant. But I feel like his energy is still around, you know, those types of places, you know what I mean? Or attached to certain items that he once owned. Mm -hmm. Now we jump into Deborah Gibson's story. So this is a really cool story. So Debbie Gibson, well, now Deborah, Mm -hmm. 80s teen queen and mastermind behind the album in the 80s, Electric Youth. That played in almost every teen's bedroom in the late 80s to the early 90s, of course. Debbie, well, back then she was called Debbie. Now she's called Deborah. So Debbie purchases Liberace's mirrored piano. Yes. And of course she's like, I got my royalties from Electric Youth. I'm going to treat myself. So she purchases Lib's piano. Mm-hmm. And after she makes this purchase, things start to happen Ugh. in her house. So according to Celebrity Ghost Stories, and if you, you guys can definitely find this if you YouTube it. So Debbie goes on, or Deborah goes on, to recall some weird instances right after she purchased his piano. Mm-hmm. So one occurrence happened while she was writing a song that she was playing on the piano. 
And she's having this hard time writing the song because she's playing notes that she was never trained to play in the first place. Mm. She's like, these are classical keys. These are advanced keys. And by the time I was done writing this song, I played it back for my friends. And they're like, this is not you. This is very classic. And I've never heard of this. Like, this Mm. is something completely different from what you usually write. So she was looking at the keys and she's like, these are all classical notes. So it could be possible that Liberace is writing music or was writing music through Deborah. Uh. Then we go into another occurrence that she had that she ends up getting this gig on television. She is invited to appear on the show Mm. with a psychic. So before she's leaving, before she's leaving to go to the show, she's about to, you know, walk out the door. She hears a clink in the room where the piano is and it turns out that a piece of the mirror tile from the piano fell to the floor. So she goes and picks it up. She puts it in her purse instead. She's like, I'll deal with it later when I get back. So she gets to the soundstage. They set her up. The psychic has his back to her the whole time. She has her back to the psychic. And when the cameras are rolling, you know, they're, they, you know, tell the psychic, okay, start asking her questions. So the psychic goes on and does a general reading. He goes on and asks her, um, you brought a piece of piano, didn't you? Or you brought a piano with you? And she said, yeah, it's a piece of Liberace's piano. And then he goes on to say, yes, that's the gentleman that I'm constantly seeing and hearing. Like he's watching Uh. over you. He's with you. So... Just a, just an FYI, he is pretty much looking out for you. Aww. Like, he's just, you know, kind of guiding you through your mm-hmm. career. And she's like, yeah, I really do feel like, I really do feel a presence in my home after I purchased this piano. I feel like he's just been watching me. Mm-hmm. The last coincidence or unusual coincidence she has is when she goes to Salt Lake City She's staying in this hotel and she has a few hours to kill before her show. So they suggest that she goes to this like bookstore. So she's a book collector. She goes to this bookstore. She sees Liberace's biography in the shelves. So she picks it up, opens the book and this old envelope falls out of the book. And it's a Western Union envelope. It's a telegram. She opens it up and she notices that the telegram reads, good luck on your performance tonight. And she is freaking out because she has a performance that night in Salt Lake City. And then she looks further into the telegram and she notices the, the name Liberace. She turns over the envelope and the envelope has the name George written on it. George being Liberace's older brother, who is also a conductor. Mm -hmm. So it looked like, you know, Liberace was wishing him good luck for a show. And in some way was reminding Debbie to have a good show. So she goes on and states, hey, you know, I had a good show that night. I really needed that support. Mm. I really felt like he was with me and he continued to be with me, you know, throughout my career. And it seemed like she's been doing well. Like she did a stint of Chicago where she played Roxy Hart on Broadway. And then she, of course, you know, falls in the line with many celebrities, you know, B-list celebrities where they do a cheesy sci-fi movie. Sure. Yes. Same. Mm -hmm. So that is Liberace's paranormal aftermath. Crazy and kind of creepy. Love it. Do you think, you know, places aren't haunted, but people and things can be haunted? I think especially for artists in general of any kind, 
you are pouring a lot of yourself into your medium. So the fact that like his piano would have energy around it makes total sense to me. Like, yes. He really was so, I mean, he had to fight to play the piano and he really like gave of himself through the piano. That checks out to me, I think. Yeah, I highly, I agree 100%. And in some way, I feel like like his mirrored piano is like, have you ever seen the movie The Red Violin? I don't think so. It's okay. In short, is about a violin that's created, and it shows the journey of this red violin throughout centuries. Oh, I love that. And I feel like, in some weird way, that's like that's the journey of his piano because yeah. his pianos were collected for the film behind the candelabra, right. and Debbie Gibson or Deborah Gibson purchased it and wrote, you know, some mm. of her best music on there too. And now it's in the hands of a new pianist. This huge pianist i don't know if you've seen the grammy awards with cardi b i have not okay her name is chloe flowers guys google her instagram her she had purchased liberace's mirrored piano oh wow and i think she used it for the grammys and i believe cardi b twerked on it oh my god of course what a sentence but she's this like fresh new korean american pianist that in, like infuses hip hop and cool. classical, which, which is, is really, really what he did too. Yeah. So if you like YouTube Chloe Flowers, she has this beautiful video of her playing in this cute little shrug dress, her little like shrug boots, mm. and she's playing on Liberace's mirrored I piano. She's playing like classics, and then she goes into the hip hop classics. I love that. It, yeah. I'm just so surprised, like, where that, you know, that piano is just journeying yeah. from one person to another, one prodigy to another, yeah. I guess you can say. Well, guys, that is the life and the afterlife of Liberace. Let us yes. know what you think. Are you, were you a fan of Lib or Lee? Yeah. Did you see the movie Behind the Candelabra? Let Ugh. us know. All right, guys. So if you love Hollywood Paranormal, you can find us on Facebook and or Instagram at Hollywood Paranormal and Twitter at HWP Podcast. Yes. Just a little FYI. So we're going to bring this to a close, Bryce. Yes. Yes. All right. So we have a couple of shout outs real quickly. We have some new Patreons. Hey. We have Thomas DeLeon, Celine Carrillo, Christina Estrada, The Paranormal Chicks, or F Paranormal Chicks, and Amber Roberts. Thank you so much, guys, for donating. If you want to donate to our podcast, please head over to patreon.com forward slash Hollywood Paranormal. And there you can donate as little as $1 or more per month to Mm -hmm. the podcast. You could donate for one to two months and then Mm -hmm. cancel. No biggie. A dollar does go a long way. It really does. Yes. So our spiritual bays of the week, Bizarre Los Angeles, shout out to them. And also a big shout out to the Dial Marcus Company on Instagram. And of course, um, they're an amazing shop based off of Fountain Avenue Mm. in Los Feliz. You can travel back in time with their unique antiques, books and accessories. It's a really cool shop that surprisingly, you know, or unsurprisingly had some paranormal activity. Sure. Of course. So, guys, follow them on Instagram. They're really awesome. And also follow Zachariah the Witch. He Hi. is awesome. 
He is a beautiful human being, and I met him at the event with Bizarre Los Angeles. And, oh, right. Yeah, at the Dial mm-hmm, Marcus. Mm-hmm. So follow Zachariah the Witch on Instagram. He is, you know, pretty much the head witch in charge. Him <laughs> and psychic, and we're gonna try to have him on the show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So um, another another announcement: we're gonna be at the Outlier Festival here in Los Angeles yes. on September 14th. We're gonna be there with um, two girls on a bench. Go yes. check them out, please. We're gonna be a part of a panel with them, so you guys can go and check us out, mingle with us, chat with us. We're trying to work something too with. LA Not So Confidential that evening at Universal Studios because Dr. Shiloh and I really want to experience the Ghostbusters Universal Mm -hmm. Halloween Nights theme Mm -hmm. that they have going on while watching Scott and Bryce drink themselves into a fearless state. Yeah, there's not enough enough alcohol in Universal. (laughs) No. So us girls are going to like brace ourselves for the Halloween Nights while... The two other girls are just going to stay behind and drink. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that checks out, right? Yeah. I do have a little... Actually, this is like such a weird thing that you just brought up Universal. But did you know... Here's a fun little like post-tidbit. Mm-hmm. Did you know that many of Liberace's like, items that were in the museum have actually been lost because they were also in the 2008 Universal fire? No. Yes. The, no way. The 2008 Universal fire is low-key the like greatest artistic loss of our time but it was so covered up that we kind of don't know no what all was of lost. course it would be covered up it i mean half keeps... of his stuff was like i know i think his most expensive cape was this like i think it cost like eight hundred thousand yeah. dollars and it was like a black diamond yeah. encrusted cape that's so like there's like more and more like i don't know if you've listened to any of like dave grohl talking about it like so many like original recordings and like artifacts and like memorabilia have been lost and it just keeps coming out piece by piece oh my super God. shady what has actually been lost like the number of times that I'll be reading something for like this or just for fun and it'll pop up and be like was lost in the universal fire and I'm like oh my oh god oh my god yeah so a lot of his stuff that was in the museum oh my god no isn't that crazy that is so crazy it, it just reminded me because you were talking about Halloween Horror Nights at Universal and like as I was reading that was one of the things that came oh up. my yeah. god isn't that crazy? Guys, find that article. That's got to be such an interesting read. I know. Well, it's insane. Like, again, like, things keep coming out, and it's like they won't just say what all was lost. So, like, it just keeps coming out piecemeal how many things were lost. And if you think about it, that was eight years ago. <gasps> almost nine years ago. Like, right? Isn't that crazy that, That's like, we're insane. still just finding out yeah. more and more how much truly was lost? I mean, I'm shocked, but then I'm not shocked because it is universal and is the entertainment At industry. the time, they made it seem like it was, like, nothing. It's not a big deal. We just lost, like, a couple little items. Like, what kind of items? Just, you know, little, yeah. just, just, you know, maybe a few of his really expensive, really expensive stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, sure. I'm sure. It's crazy. Sorry. That, that, no, uh, that's uh, final awesome. Thoughts. Like that's. An, <laughs> I mean, like that's tragic, but that's also like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm still in shock about I that. Know. Oh my god! What a way to close and end this. Yeah. <laughs> this Come on, Universal Fire. Get it. 
All right, guys, just follow us on our Instagram to figure out what we're going to do, where we're going to be during um, the month of September, especially yes. for, you know, Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. We're going to really try our best to make our way over there. Yes. But definitely go and check out Outlier Fest. Go on Ooh. outliers.com and get 20% off using code BENCH if you want to purchase tickets, you want to meet us, and definitely meet your favorite podcasters there. You can go on outliers.cs.com. And see who's, you know, doing panels because it's a pretty, it's a pretty big festival and it goes on from 9 a.m. And I think it ends at six or seven. So, yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Till next time. Um, I'm thinking maybe Richie Valens might be our next one. Season four is definitely going to be a season of big figures, awesome neighborhoods. And we're definitely going to go beyond Hollywood. So follow us. Okay, guys. All right. Bryce, you have anything you want to say? Any other news tidbits? No, I'm just good for one. (laughs) One and done. All right, guys. Till next time. Bye. Stay Hollywood. Bye.